So um, it's really good to see so many of you here, um, and every week that I stand up here, there are more and more people, but um, because of that, and because there are some new faces around, I want to just begin this morning by just trying to pull the threads together of the last few weeks of our series, so that we're all kind of starting from the same place. So um, Chris kicked us off in the very first week of our Empowered series by reminding us that as presence people, which was our series before Christmas. As presence people, there is a call for us all to become more empowered by the Spirit of God to flow in our gifts. He reminded us that there are good works that have been prepared in advance for each of us to do. And, and Chris, um, he reminded us as well that the, that the gifts aren't about us, that they're actually for serving other people with. And Chris taught us that like Jesus, in order for the gifts to function in a healthy way, we should understand and put into practice the link that exists between a life lived in spiritual disciplines and how the gifts flow out of that. And, and if we don't operate in our gifts from this posture of presence, then we quickly reach a place of burnout. And, and that's not what any of us want for you guys, but it's also not what God wants for us either. And that's why that's really important. And then Debbie, the next week, she reminded us that for us as individuals, as God's workmanship, we should follow what Jesus teaches around using our gifts for the Lord. We looked at the parable of the talents, and in that we saw that everybody was given something. Everyone got something. No one was left out. And that the Spirit is really particular and specific using wisdom and intention when he gives the gifts out. But then we also have a responsibility on our side to steward those gifts really well. And God wants us to go for it. He wants us just to get stuck in, not to be risk averse, but to steward what we have been given in order to be equipped with more, all right? And she left us with this challenge. What is it that you're gonna do with what you've been given? What are you gonna do? And then of course, last week, Paul took us on a journey through the various generations in life. And, uh, and the challenge was that no matter what season you find yourself in, We've all got a part to play. We all have something important to offer. We all have talents and gifts to use for the purposes of the kingdom. Everybody gets to play. Everybody's in. And so from this foundation that we've covered in the last three weeks, we want to move this morning into actually looking at a framework um, that we steward these gifts in. And an important place to start is by examining how Paul picks up the theme of spiritual gifts in the letters that he writes to the church in Rome and to the church in Corinth. And to help us understand it in hopefully a balanced way, we're going to look at how Paul uses this really brilliant metaphorical language when he describes the church as being the body of Christ. And we really want to get to grips with that this morning. I think it's really important that you know that. We're going to be all over that today, all right? Um, as I said, it's like a framework which is going to really exist to kind of hold this whole series together. Before Al went, he was like, Bruno, I really need to land this one well. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so here we go, right? And the first passages that we're going to look at this morning is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and it's from verses 12 to 21. Now, you know, a, a bit of context is really important and so I want to tell you just a wee bit about the church in Corinth before we look at the passage. Culturally, Corinth was really all about what it looked like. It was all about appearance and all about prestige. It was this beautiful, really great location in Greece. It had this superb climate. 
it was a place of political influence. It was kind of like the ultimate retiring location, kind of like a really exotic Port Stewart, if you can picture that, right? And if you had money, you went there. And just by being there, you kind of felt like you were really important. And pride and ego were kind of wrapped up under this kind of guise of like philosophical thinking. And, uh, and, and with that then came this attitude of entitlement and self-promotion. And those things began to creep into the church. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is really spelling out that the church is meant to be an alternative community to the people who lived in Corinth. But they were doing the same things as everybody else around them, and they were having those same attitudes. And instead, Paul's really pushing hard against this. He's challenging them to be a people who are centered around Jesus, that everybody, regardless of what they did on the outside, when they came to church, they had to take on the posture of a servant, okay? So we want to keep that in mind as we look at this. So here we go. 12 to 21. Our bodies have many parts, but the many parts make up only one body when they're all put together. And so it is with the body of Christ. Each of us is a part of the one body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some are free. But the Holy Spirit has fitted us all together into one body. I'm going to read that again. The Holy Spirit has fitted us all together into one body. We have been baptized into Christ's body by the one spirit and we have all been given that same Holy Spirit. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And what would you think if you heard an ear say, I'm not part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye? Would that make it any less part of the body? Suppose the whole body were an eye then how would you hear? Or if your whole body was just one big ear, how would you smell anything? But that isn't the way God has made us. He has made many parts for our bodies and has put each part just where he wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if it had only one part. So he has made many parts, but still there is only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. All I can think of when I read this is that would an ear actually talk? I'm kind of getting freaked out about the thought of that, right? But here we go. Let's get back to it. I want to draw your attention to verse 13. When Paul is saying to the Corinthians, he's saying the Holy Spirit has fitted us all together into one body. And I think before we go any further to look at anything else this morning, we've got to really land this particular part really solidly and hopefully really well, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who positions each one of us within the church. He does it. It's his job. And you know that he knows what he's doing, okay? He knows how to make the body function best. He knows where everybody fits best. And this is reinforced again, actually, when we get to verse 18, when he says that we've been put where he wants us. And as we move through this series, I kind of want to humbly suggest this morning that this is where we begin And this is where we always kind of root ourselves to, this place of trust that God has designed our church body in Emmanuel Portadown for its best possible function. I can't tell you what a relief that is, that he knows what he's doing. But when we begin here, I think it just clears the table of comparison. 
It clears the table of, like, let's be honest, a wee bit of competition, right? It clears the table of insecurity because we remember that he's actually the one who's gifting us and he's putting us into the, the position that he wants us in. And then we get joy when we see everybody released into what God has for them. But the church in Corinth was really proud. This external culture that was around them had sort of seeped in so much that um, maybe subconsciously, but inadvertently, they were promoting their, themselves as being superior because of the gifts that each one of them had been given. And what happened then was that they were misusing their gifts and they'd forgotten how to love each other really well. It's like they had lost sight of Jesus' example. And this is what Paul is really confronting and really addressing here. And so I think as we understand that part, I then want to bring you into our next passage, which is in Romans 12, okay? And one of Paul's purposes then in writing to the church in Rome was to diffuse um, the uh, animosity that existed between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians within the church, right? They're, they kind of uh, disliked each other and uh, there, there was a wee bit of competition between who is more important but Paul was trying to unite them, okay, to try and remind them, actually, this is the purpose of the church. And as they understood this, that would bring unity together, okay? So this is what Romans 12, verses 3 to 8 says. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. This is brutal. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. And if your gift is serving others, serve them well. And if you're a teacher, teach well. And if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. And if it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for kindness to others, do it gladly. You see, Paul was reminding them that despite the differences, um, their religious differences and their cultural differences that existed between them, they were all part of Christ's body. And when we look at verse 5, the word parts here in other English translations of the Bible is often used as the word members. And that word members in the Greek is this word mele. And, uh, and it's basically talking about a bodily organ, okay, or a limb or something like that, a part of the body. So, so what Paul is really getting at here is that each person, each member is a distinct, right, a different but a really necessary part of the body for it to function in a healthy way. Your body needs everything. <laughs> Your body needs everything to function properly. If we whip out the heart, we're in trouble, all right? We need everything to function properly. And because of these passages, I, th I hope that it's really clear that, that, that we understand that a church is a community of many members who all need to work together in order for the whole thing to work properly, okay? Now, I Another way that came to me this week is if you could flick this next image up on the, the screen. Oh, go on ahead again. Ah, there we go, right. I was reminded about this when I was preparing this week. Now, I'll tell you a story about this. I uh, must be like 23 years ago. <laughs> 
headed as a fresher to Strand. On a fresher's week in Strand, I got my student loan, you know, because I had the financial freedom, which actually isn't the financial freedom of a student loan, and hit the poster sale down in Queen's Students' Union. And I came upon this, right? And I loved it. And, uh, and when I thought of the body analogy, I thought of this poster. You'll see what it is. You can probably tell what it is already. But this poster is made up of lots of different tiles from lots of different Disney movies to make one big poster, right? And the artist who was designing this knew what he was doing. He knew how he wanted it to look. And if you can see, there are some you know, different tones of colors there. And if the artist had have put some of perhaps the yellow or the white tones in, over into another section of the poster, he wouldn't have achieved what it was that he wanted to present to everybody. He wouldn't have got the overall effect of the, uh, the image that he wanted to create. And if, go with me on this one, if any one of those little characters or scenes from the Disney movie had it piped up and said to the artist, I don't think I should be in this particular part, I actually think I should be over there, they wouldn't have really known what they were talking about because they weren't the artist and they couldn't see it from his perspective. But when you look to the next image, this is what it's meant to look like, okay? All these tiny little bits fitting together to make this image. Another wee side story to that is when I was looking for it through the week, somebody's actually selling this poster for £130 on eBay and I threw mine in the bin about five years ago. So to tell you that I'm gutted is <laughs> beyond, beyond the pale. But yeah, do you see what I'm trying to get at? This analogy of the body, right? God knows where each of us are supposed to be. And we can't pipe up and tell him, well, actually, God, I think you're wrong about that. Because he knows what he wants our body in Emmanuel Portadown to look like. And when we look at society through the lens of the Bible and not the other way around, which sometimes happens, we actually can look out and see how hyper-individualized society in the West has become. And these passages, I think, are really pushing hard against that narrative. And the last thing that we want this series to become for any of us is about my gift and what I get and who I am and how my identity is in that, okay? Because um, I can tell you from my own experience, like that's a rabbit hole that I went down, which wasn't really very good about 20 years ago. If truth be told, I think it became a bit of a distraction for a lot of young Christians around the time. Now, I'm not saying anything about the book. I'm just telling you what's maybe come out of the book. But The Purpose Driven Life was this massive book around the time that I was in uni. And as what often happens, sometimes we, we can take a little bit of the truth of something and then we can run hard after that and not apply the whole wisdom that Rick Warren was trying to get at. And I nearly kind of felt like a real pressure that at like 20, I needed to figure out what my gifts were. And if I didn't know what my gifts were, like how could I give my whole life to Jesus? And I could feel this kind of pressing down on me in my 20s. But like 20 years later, I'm, I'm kind of still trying to work that out, okay? And if that makes you feel a bit better, well, I'm glad about that. Because I think what we were doing at that point was maybe not applying it the way Rick Warren wanted us to apply it. Then it was all about me and all about what I could get and all about who I could, could become, but uh, as I've matured and as time has gone on, I've actually realized it's very little to do with me at all. There are seasons and there are rhythms of grace that over time, and I think as I've matured, I, I've allowed myself to recognize what just evolves out of my relationship with Jesus. That's as simple as I, I can put it. 
stay close to him and stuff begins to emerge out of you. And I think that's perhaps a healthier way of, of looking at it. And so we have to be really careful. Of course, we want you to know your gifts are. That's why we're doing this series. But we've got to hold in a little bit of balance that we understand the purpose of the gift. And the purpose of the gift is about everybody else in the body. Okay. There's a community nature to the gifts because one part of the body can't function effectively without the others. And Paul is not concerned about how individuals like discover their destiny so much as he is concerned about how the community of the king function together with each person in the right place playing their part. Because we all do get something. We all get something. You're in. Okay, but you're in to serve alongside everybody else doing their bit too. And I think Paul's really clear on that in these passages. This whole body metaphor digs into a few key theological principles of what I think is really strong New Testament theology around this. And, and I want to stress again how important it is that we, that we grasp this properly this morning because we want to we build a biblical worldview as to how we steward the gifts before we begin to unpack and understand their individual functions. Because if we don't, it just gets a wee bit skewed and a wee bit warped. Because when we look at these passages, Paul, in, in like the really like hyper-intelligent way that he does, he's just so clever, but he takes a lot of the social narrative of the time and he just slaps a good dose of like radical gospel understanding to it. And he tries to help us imagine a body working together in synchronization, existing for the sake of the health of the whole entire body. And wrapped up in this thinking, he stresses how important it is to place like really legitimate, serious value on each member, recognizing the contribution that every single person makes. And he's really pushing back against every social norm that, that, that was flying in their faces, but you know what, it hasn't gone away. It's flying on our faces too. And this brings us to the first of, of the six principles that we think that Paul um, wants us to understand and steward our gifts within. Now, don't panic, okay? They're not that long. When I say six, I was like, ooh, we're nearly at the end of church. Right, first principle. The first principle that we think that he's getting at, it's a no-brainer. It's a principle that we're Jesus-centered. So I think we can all agree, right, that we're the body of Christ, and so as the body of Christ, everything about the gift that each member demonstrates should always look, sound, and feel like Jesus every time. And if it doesn't look, sound, and feel like Jesus, if it doesn't demonstrate Jesus, it's not Jesus. It's not. It's a counterfeit gift which just causes damage within the church fractures relationship and gives the enemy an opportunity to worm his way in, which is not what we want. And instead of believing the lies that the world keeps feeding us, that we're here to have this really cushy, comfortable life and have all of our needs met and make sure that we get to watch that show through the week that we're meant to watch, you know, and, and you know, don't get challenged too much, right? Instead of all of that, Paul's reminding us that actually, do you know what, guys, we're here to live a life like Jesus, a life of selfless service, to give our lives away for the sake of others. Now, I'm not talking about like running yourself to the point of exhaustion or anything like that, like we all need healthy boundaries. But at the same time too, we get so used to kind of sitting in front of the fire, <laughs> especially on nights like this. And do we really want to go out to that because it's cozy in the house? And, but Paul's like, do you know what? We're here for one another. 
And so how do we then make sure that our, our gifts are Jesus-centered? Well, you know, I, I think it's not that complicated. We, we do it by us ourselves staying centered in Jesus, by putting into practice those spiritual disciplines. And out of that place of our relationship with Jesus, our gifts, I, I, can, I can just tell you from my own experience of this, it, things just begin to emerge the closer I am to Jesus. But it's also how we make sure that our character is really sound and, and how we honor each other really, really well. I've had people um, describe to me, um, one person in particular, how someone has prophesied over them, um, but they came away like just feeling really uncomfortable with it. And the words were, to me were, it just didn't feel like Jesus. That's what they said, right? And when gifts are used in a manipulative and a controlling kind of way, it, it causes damage. It's done from a place of flesh, and I think it fractures the body. And our relationship with Jesus, it direct, directly impacts our gifts because what's on the inside comes out. It comes out in the end. And so we've got to really stay Jesus-centered if we want to get this right. Like That is like the number one principle. The number two principle is it's the principle of unity and diversity. Now, this, I think this particular principle is really concentrated within these passages, is unity and diversity, all right? And I think, you know, we can all agree biblically that there are different kinds of gifts, but we also um, need to recognize that they all come from the one source, all right? The, the same spirit distributes them. And because the same spirit distributes them, I think that, that gives equal value to all of the gifts within the body. And when we understand that, that's what helps us build unity. And from this place of unity, then, I think the unity makes room for the breadth of the diversity of the gifts. Another translation of Romans 12, verse 5 and 6, it says this. It says there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The church operates, I think, in a really healthy way when we continue to keep in view that the gifts are given for mutual edification of the whole body. And I think this is a really important thing that we, we don't forget about, okay? It's for the common good. The Spirit gives us the gifts for the common good. God's expectation with the spiritual gifts is not for, like, hyper-independence where we're just going to get every, on with everything on our own. And it's not for, like soul-sucking, <laughs> draining levels of dependence on one another, but it's for a really healthy balance of interdependence where we all need one another to do it well. And in order for each of us to operate in our gifts effectively, we've all got to be functioning together, okay? And like in the body, the, the hidden internal organs are, are really key to the overall health of the, the, the bits that you see on the outside. The hidden gifts in church are just as important if not more important than the visible gifts. Are they the same? Well, no, they're not. But are they necessary for the health of the others? Absolutely, they are. They definitely are. And the message version puts it like this. Eugene Peterson just really hits the nail on the head. He says, for no matter how significant you are, it's only because of what you're part of. No part is important on its own. And James Dunn says this, he says, the body is a unique kind of unity, a unity that consists and is only possible, or is possible only because the members of the body are all different and have different functions. 
That is unity that is not sameness, not a unity threatened by difference, but a unity that can only function as such by reason of such difference. A unity that involves recognition of and a living out of mutual interdependence by each on the other. So what I really think he's trying to get at here is, is the diversity within the body should make way for the unity, but also the unity in the body should also allow for more diversity. And C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, if all experienced God in the same way and returned him an identical worship, the song of the church triumphant would have no symphony. It would be played like an orchestra in which all instruments played the same note. We were, um, I'm going to sound a heck of a lot more cultured than I really am, but we were at the Ulster Orchestra before Christmas and, um, and, and it was stunning. And I love, oh, I, I'm so, always so moved when I go to the orchestra. And when you see the conductor lead the whole thing, you see the strings carry so much of the melody, the brass bring the power, the, the, the wind section come in and they help to lift the whole thing. But you know who I'm always really caught by in the orchestra? The percussionist. Every time I go, and I don't go a lot, but every time I go to the orchestra, I can't take my eyes off the percussionist, right? Because they're just standing for ages doing nothing, watching the conductor. And then in one particular song, then the girl lifted this wee egg shaker, and she just stood like this for about 10 seconds, shaking this egg, and then she did nothing for ages. And then all of a sudden, she got the nod, and off she went in her glockenspiel, right? Those went down, stood for another wee while watching the conductor. And off she went again then on the wind chimes. And then after a wee while, she pulled out this whistle thing that just made this really funny noise. And I thought, oh, that's actually really important for telling the story of the music. The diversity of the gifts that she had and everything that she could play and how she watched the conductor and kept time and followed along helped to tell the story of the music. And as I was preparing this, I felt like there were some of you in the room. Sometimes you maybe feel like you're just standing waiting but your eyes are always on the conductor, you know, and, uh, and you're keeping time with the spirit. And every now and again, that quirky wee thing that you have comes out and it helps to tell the story of Jesus. And the, there's the strength in the diversity, actually, of what you bring to the body. You help tell the story of Jesus. Okay, so we've got the principle of being Jesus-centered, the principle of unity and diversity. The next principle is the principle of mutual submission. Paul's body metaphor doesn't imply a, a hierarchy within church or any kind of like pyramid structure. But what he does instead is he, he talks about the church as like a living organism. And with each part, you know, existing together and playing their role. And the foundation for Paul's vision for the church must be this counter-cultural foundation of the agape love of the Father. And it's the highest form of love that you can get. It's where Christ died for us where he gave himself away for us. And that is the foundation of Paul's vision for the church. And that's, of course, then why he puts in, in the middle of 1 Corinthians, between chapter 12 and chapter 14, he puts in chapter 13, which is this epic love chapter. All right, and I think it's, he's put them between these two chapters, 12 and 14, which are on the gifts, this love chapter. It's nearly like chapter 13 is like putting its arms around chapter 12 and chapter 14 and pulling them into himself because it's like, do you know what, the gifts... The gifts are sort of a bit hollow and empty if they're not founded and connected to and based in love. And as we operate in our gifts, I've got to be honest, I have to check my heart every day. <laughs> every day, we've got to check our hearts and we have to make sure that we're mutually submitted to each other. 
the Apostle Paul has founded his whole vision for the mission of the church on this love command of Jesus that we find in Mark 12, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second to this is love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments greater than these. And as Roger Ellis puts it, he says, it's likely because of the stark realization that his vision for the church in a world that was broken and divided could not work unless radical, agape, selfless love was at its core. And that's really, really important. Okay, so principle of being Jesus-centered, principle of unity and diversity, and then the next, or, or principle of mutual <laughs> submission. There's too many big words. Next one, the principle of the inversion of hierarchy, right? This sounds very complex, but it's not. Um, the beauty of what Paul is, is doing when he uses this body metaphor is it that he positions leadership into the body alongside everybody else in this context of mutual submission and interdependence, okay? And the power is almost moving both ways. The typical hierarchies that we see in the world around us with the boss at the top and everybody else kind of just doing as they're told is really the opposite of what Paul is trying to get at when he sees how the church should operate. It's like at the other end of the spectrum as to how the world views power and how the world leads. But by using this body metaphor, Paul provides us with a really brilliant, like I think Holy Spirit empowered and Holy Spirit um, powered alternative to the idea that, that one person has to be the absolute authority. And he also kind of nearly like uh, faces up to um, the misuse of institutional power as well. Because this alternative that he offers as to how the church works is centered in the person and the work of the Spirit of God. And Paul goes further in 1 Corinthians 12 by saying how greater honor should be bestowed upon the lesser parts. He says in verses 23 through to 25, think the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. You see, I think we can understand the spiritual gifts in a healthy way and, and properly within this framework of an inverted hierarchy, because the unseen gifts that are in the church deserve as much honor as those that are front and center, those that serve silently, selflessly, not seeking any kind of recognition or any kind of applause, they, to me, pack as much punch, if not more, than anything that we do up here at the front. That's where the rubber hits the road in church, okay? It's, we can have all the slick programs and beautiful new buildings that we want, but if we don't love each other well, it's kind of just a wee bit hollow. And I think it actually puts people, it puts me off. <laughs> it puts me off when, it gives me like a bitter taste when I hear lots of religious talk, but I know that people don't love each other. That's the foundation of everything that Jesus did. And when you know that something within your body's not working in a healthy way, like, like if your liver's not, I sound like I know what I'm talking about, I did a level of biology, like, but when your liver's not working properly, it, it kind of becomes visible after a while on the outside and you know about it, you know about it. And so that's why those hidden parts, like, we have people in here who lift people and bring them to appointments and nobody else knows about it. 
They decorate people's houses for them. They give their money away. Nobody knows about it. But that's what the body of Christ is. That's like the legitimate. <laughs> Not that anything else isn't legitimate, but like that, that, like that, is, that is foundational. That is so important. That is so, so important. So while this principle of an inverted hierarchy is really important, I, I also do feel like on the other side of that, we've got to bring a wee bit of balance to it in that the next principle is there is actually a principle of divine order that exists within these passages too. Now, there's a lot to say on this particular one and we're going to lift it up in a couple of weeks' time. Okay, I just do not have time for that today. But um, there, while there is this inversion of hierarchy, Paul's metaphor of the body um, helps us to understand that there is a divine order to the gifts as well. Not that they're more important than anything else, but the reality is that some of the other gifts do have wider impact and they make room for the hidden gifts to flow and function within the body too. And so we're going to keep this one in mind. It, it'll be coming up again in a couple of weeks' time. And then we arrive to our final principle. And, uh, and this fi final principle, I think along with our first principle, which is being Jesus-centered, I think they become like a set of brackets for all of those other ones in the middle. If you could put that image up, Stephen, we could see it. It's the principle that true spirituality is a life of love. If we are Jesus-centered and we live a life of love, unity and diversity usually follows. Mutual submission usually happens. There is an inversion of hierarchy that we all respect and honor one another. But we also then honor that principle of divine order too. Because all the spiritual gifts are subject to the one abiding reality of this agape love of Jesus. The Corinthians, for example, they had elevated the gift of tongues. And Paul was like, you know, going hard at that to rectify that. They saw it as being really super spiritual that they could all speak in tongues, but they didn't love each other well. Paul wants the church to know that if you don't have love, you've nothing. Doesn't matter what gift you've got. It's just hollow and empty and a clanging noise. And it's important that every single spiritual gift must look like love. Because if it doesn't, it's not spiritual. It's not spiritual at all. If there's no love, it's just jargon and half-decent programs. The gifts are only spiritual when they flow from this place of being Jesus-centered. And this, I think, brings us back full circle, back to that first part again. All of the other principles are, are as a result of being Jesus-centered and living a life of love. Because the culture of honoring and preferring one another is the culture that all of the gifts should be stewarded in. I think that loving one another really well makes a platform for our gifts to mesh together really smoothly. That's how Jesus did it. We just have to look at how he interacted with the woman at the well to see this living example of how he was really gracious and how he stewarded the gifts of the Spirit. He told her everything that she had ever done. He gave her a word of knowledge, right? But the way that he spoke it to her kept her dignity intact and it gently caused her eyes to be opened to who was in front of her, who he really was. She then declared him to be the Messiah and went off and became this incredible evangelist within her town telling everybody that, that the Messiah had arrived. This woman who was outcast, who was downtrodden, who was rejected, he was like completely broken and totally disillusioned with the religion that she saw around her. She now knew that she'd found living water. 
in this face of Jesus. And she would never thirst again because of that. Love was always, always Jesus' posture when he operated in the gifts. And if it was his posture, I think it really, really, really needs to be ours. Because when we do this stuff without love, it's nothing more than a horrible sound like we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. And I would even go as far as to say that, that without love, unintentionally, because I don't believe this is ever the motive of anybody's heart, but our flesh kind of always worms its way in. And when we start to use our gifts from that place, it just becomes about self-fulfillment. It can become a wee bit controlling and manipulative. But with Jesus, like, hey, there's no condemnation when he speaks to her. There's no judgment. There's just a desire to help her step towards the freedom that he wants for her and to step into the fullness of life and to put to bed all of the work of the enemy in her life. And so we're going to close off now this morning um, with a song. So I'd love to invite the guys back up again. Um, and, uh, and we're going to take communion. And, uh, and if you love Jesus, we would love to invite you to take communion with us. There are tables at the front and there are tables at the back. But you see, as we consider ourselves as being many members of one body and being centered around Jesus and living this life of love, we begin to understand more about how all of our gifts mesh together. And I feel like this morning it would kind of help us seal this by taking communion together. Because being members of the one body, there are likely people in here that you don't really know yet. And all the Northern Ireland people go, oh. And so what I would love you to do this morning in a moment is to go and lift some bread and some juice and find somebody that you don't really know that well because we're one body. And imagine what it's like to be that new person stepping through the door and thinking that lots of relationships exist here already. Go and find somebody that you don't know and take communion together. We don't want anybody on their own, unless you're really averse to being with strangers, okay? But we're all quite friendly, most of us. And, uh, and, and this thing that we do in a familiar kind of way, I think this helps build and recognize the diversity through this act of, of, of unity when we take communion together. So you can stay in the aisles, you can linger at the front or at the back, you can go back to your seats and turn around with the people beside you. Um, but the guys are going to play a song. And then um, you're going to take communion. And then I'm going to come up and close this off with a prayer at the end. Okay? <clears throat>